This morning, I'm going to preach a message entitled, You Get What You Ask For. The text we're going to find ourselves in is 1 Samuel chapter 8. I'll be reading out of the ESV. And while you're turning there, I was reading an article about a theologian. I have um, some of his literature uh, from around uh, 400 AD. Uh, his name is Augustine, and he's one of the most uh, brilliant and influential theologians in church history. Uh, he uh, is, like I said, from about 400 AD, uh, lived in uh, northern Africa on the coast there, uh, and he has contributed many great theological things uh, to the church. When he was a young man, he was uh, struck by people's discontentment, them, them being without joy and their lack of fulfillment in life. And as he thought of that and he watched people indulge in pleasures and consume all kind of entertainment, and even those that had endless wealth and could do anything that they wanted to do, they still lacked joy. Um, there were still places in their hearts where it was hollow, and he realized something. He realized that human beings have their priorities out of order. And having your priorities out of order will never have you satisfied. It will never allow you to live with joy. And it really boiled down to you love the wrong things. This is um, his core definition of his classic work in, in something called um, Confessions, uh, that sin comes from wrongly ordered love. We can and we do at times elevate the wrong things or the right things in the wrong amount. It could be the right thing. It could be a good thing, but if it's in the wrong measure, if it's in the wrong amount, it's a problem. Or it could be the right thing, it could be in the right amount, and it could be at the wrong time. All of those things are a potential problem. And, and when those things happen, uh, and it takes a, a prime place in our heart, it's called idolatry. Augustine taught that living a life of virtue is the process of rightly ordering your love. Rightly ordering your love. Tim Keller um, commented on this in, in a book that he wrote called Making Sense of God. And he said, Augustine taught that we are most fundamentally shaped by not as much by what we believe or think, or even do, but by what we love. For when we ask whether someone is a good person, we are not asking them what he believes or hope for, but what he loves. For Augustine, what we call human virtue is nothing more than forms of love. Augustine did not see our problem as stemming only from a lack of love, 
right? Because we can suffer from a lack of love. He also observed that the heart's love has an order to them. In other words, we put things in certain orders of how much we love them. And we often love less important things and more important things that we should love. We love those things more. Therefore, unhappiness and disorder of our lives are caused by the disorder of the things that we love. In other words, a just person is also a person that has rightly ordered his or her love so that he does not love the wrong thing and he does not fail to love the, the right thing too much. We, we need to, to think about that and examine in our own lives are the things that we love in its right order. Is, is, is God your supreme love, followed by the sacrificial love that we are to have for one another. Because we know that the Bible tells us when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Love God and love people, right? This, this is what we are called to do. So that leads us into our text this morning. Again, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 8. I'll be reading out of the ESV. And would you please stand for the reading of God's word? It reads this way. When Samuel was old, he made his son judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders in Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the, other all of the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them according to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods so that they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you, you shall solemnly warn them and show them the way the king who shall reign over them, the ways of the king that who, sh who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words to the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. And he said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. 
He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male, he will take, he will take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them in his work. He will take a tenth of your flock and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Go, every man, to his city. Father, we thank you for these stories, Lord. We, we thank you because we can glean from them, Lord. As, as we spoke about the church last week, being an embassy from heaven on earth, Lord, let this not be said of us. The world will do what it does. But your children, Lord, your people, call to you as king. We just worshiped you in song as king. We are here because you are king of our hearts and our lives, Lord. You're not just king over your church and over your people, Lord, but over the universe because you are the creator of heaven and earth. Let us know this, Lord, as we consider the word that you have us for us this, this day. We present ourselves to you and say, have your way, open our ears, open our hearts, open our eyes to see your truth, Lord, to receive it, Lord, to be changed by it, Lord, because you alone do that by your spirit. You alone do that by the power of your word. So give us our daily bread this day. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It says, when Samuel became old and he made his sons judge over Israel, his sons weren't walking in his ways, but they took bribes and they perverted justice. Godly leaders are always a blessing to people and ungodly leaders always lead people astray, and they always injure. The, the, the part we need to consider here is, in the time of the judges, they had some good judges, meaning godly judges, and some judges that were not godly. 
But God was still on the throne. God was in control of every situation. And through the times of good judges and through the times of not good judges, God's will was always done. Just think about this system for a while. This was a theocracy. In, in, In other words, it was a system of government where they ruled in the name of God. But even in that, sinful man will always distort those things. That should not move us. That that should not shake us because God is still on the throne and he's in charge of all things. But because this was the situation and they viewed Samuel as a godly man and they watched the acts of his children, they said, we got to do something about this. We're going to step in. And the elders gathered together and and they, they said to Samuel, you're old, meaning you're done. We're watching the actions of your sons. They're not walking in your ways. So now what we call for you to do is, is to appoint a king and, and let him judge over us like all the other nations. Like all the other nations, all of those ungodly nations, we we know that we're God's people. We, We remember him taking us out of Egypt. We know he gave us the promised land. We know he took it from other people. We know that they're living in sin. We know that he says, don't be like them. Don't even mingle with them, but we want a king just like them. The way they have a king, we want a king. Um making those decisions outside of God's counsel never works out. So, so as Samuel was hearing this, it says he was, he was displeased. They're saying, give us a king. And he prayed to the Lord about it. And, and the Lord said, obey the voice of the people. Um, they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me. This is a sidebar. So often, uh, we go out, whether it be our family or others, and we witness to them, and we speak to them, and they reject it. And we feel personally rejected. We're not speaking outside of the Word of God. We're speaking God's Word. When you're rejected, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. Our one and and only job is to worship God, and we worship him in many ways, just like we worshiped him in song, just like sitting under the word is a form of worship. We also worship him by speaking to the lost. And and often we hold back because we don't want to feel rejected. But it's not you who's being rejected. It's God. So even Samuel feeling a certain way about this took it personal. Like, we, we, we all do, right? That, that, that hurts, but it, it wasn't about Samuel. They rejected God, and, and he said, this is nothing new. They've been doing this. Since the day I brought them out of Egypt, they keep um, and rejecting me. And he says to him, 
Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the way the king shall reign over them. Isn't God merciful? He, he's, he's saying like how the price is right was like door number one, two, and three. I know some of you young people don't know what we're talking about. And you had to pick a door. One door behind it could be a new car. And then another door behind it could be, you know, 50 cans of spam. So before you pick door number two, let me tell you what's going to happen. That's, that's God's mercy sending an indicator. Listen, this is going to be the consequence. So he told them. And they said, he said, this is the way the king who will reign over you, he will take. And he lists all of these things. He will take. God gives, people take. You don't want me to be king? Okay, we'll give you a king. He will take. And the list of things that were going to be taken is your most precious things, your sons and your daughters and your land and your money and the produce of what you've harvested, he's going to have a portion of it all. It goes through this whole list, and this is what they desired. This was not only going to affect those elders standing on behalf of the people, it was going to affect all the people. It was not only going to affect all the people, it was going to affect all the people's children. It was not only going to affect all the people's children, it was going to affect all the people's grandchildren and grandchildren's grandchildren. Because those kind of decisions uh, changes all the conditions. You and your family's lives under the condition that you live in, everything is affected. So even us coming up on election day, how you vote affects your condition. How you vote affects the condition of your families. So there's one principle here, and we started with it. Make sure you have rightly ordered your love. Make sure you have rightly ordered your love. It says that when Samuel heard these things, he was displeased. It says, no, you're not rejected but me. Um, and it says these are the consequences of it. And now that you've picked door number two, once you pick that, that's exactly what you're going to get. Um, and in that day, you will cry out because of your king. Remember the guy you asked for? You will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. 
but the Lord will not answer you in that day. With him saying all of that, the people still refused to obey. Imagine, they could have asked for a king, uh, not known all the consequence, God not tell them the consequence and just say, hey, give them what they want. But through his mercy, he said, at least let them know what they're signing up for. And, and as they uh, considered those things, they said, yeah, we're willing to pay that price for what we want. Sometimes um, we're willing to pay a certain price, or at least we think we are, until the daily toil of paying that price starts to set in. And once that decision is made, and it's affecting you and your kids and your grandkids and your grandkids, grandkids, and you start to cry out, it's like, hey, this is the situation that was set forth. You had a choice. The part that really struck me was not only that they refused to obey, that they said that we want to be like all the other nations, and then they said that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Wow. Put me in the hands of God, not in the hands of man. I already know um, how I respond to certain situations when I'm not pleased with the Holy Spirit in me. Uh, imagine the wickedness of people and you saying, put me in the hands of man. Knowing that no king lives forever, you just seen a good judge followed up by his sons and, and responded to the situation by give us a king knowing, hey, no king's going to live forever but the king of kings. And, and now I'm willing to subject myself to uh, someone else uh, not knowing how they're going to feel on a certain day. The best of people may make a righteous decision on a good day. But what about across the board? What about uh, in every subject matter? What about the limitations of their wisdom? Uh, what about the limitations of their integrity, meaning there is only one that's holy and we just sang to them? Like they're putting themselves under this whole thing. And, and not only do I want this person to judge me, meaning anytime there's any kind of dispute, you arbitrate and say, hey, this is what's going to happen. I also want my battles. I'll take the all-powerful God to fight my battles. Thank you very much the one who never sleeps nor slumber, the one that has proven that he loves me. And he said, obey the people. Make them a king. And Samuel said, okay, that's what you want. Leave every man to his city. 
There's two type of people in the world. They're not Democrats and Republicans. They're the saved and the unsaved. One of the things that we really have to put deep down in our hearts is the loss of going to do things that lost people do. The lost are not going to act any other way than being lost. It is the church, those that are called the pillar of truth, those that, that say, I see, that there should be a different response from. The problem is not, should we focus on government at this time? We have an election coming up. Of course we should focus on government at this time. The problem is the level of faith that we put into the institution of government and how little faith we put in God. The one who governs over all things. So whether they had judges where God ruled, or kings, where God still rules, or a voting booth, where God still rules, how much time are you putting into things that are going to change, that you don't know the outcome? It comes down to a couple of things. One, voting in Every other decision that we make as believers should be through biblical lens, period. The word of God must govern our decisions, period. The word of God must govern our decisions. But we got to ask ourselves a couple of questions. Who, who are you? How do you identify yourself? D does your identity matter? Of, of course your identity matters. But even as we were talking about the priorities of love, we need to prioritize our identity because we're not one thing. I'm not only Caleb's ministry age. First and foremost... You're a Christian. First and foremost, your first identity is, I'm a Christian. Over being a man or a woman, you're a Christian. Over being black, white, or brown, you're a Christian. Over being rich or poor, you're a Christian. You have to have rightly ordered love. And the order of your love comes from him and him alone. Our rightly ordered love is to love God and to love our neighbor. That's what Jesus said. So what does that look like? First off, we know that the Bible tells us that loving God is obeying him. Loving God is loving his church. It's from the Bible. So even in that, what does that look like practically? Well, one of the ways that it looks like practically is protecting her from laws that come against her. You, you, you better do that. 
But then it says also to love your neighbor. Loving your neighbor is, is loving life. Right, right from Genesis, God breathed in life. And hating the culture of death. Death came of ways of the enemy and sin. Loving your neighbor is loving justice. Loving your neighbor is loving justice. And that manifests itself in many different ways. Loving your neighbor is loving the institution of family. Because again, right from Genesis, God instituted the family. Loving your neighbor is loving the lost over your own agenda. See, that's where it gets a little tricky. Because what we want the lost to do is to conform and act the way we want them to act so we can have what looks like an oasis. That's not loving your neighbor. Loving your neighbor is loving them recognizing their condition over and above your agenda. Loving your neighbor is proclaiming the gospel over your politics. Don't look for heaven on earth on this side of eternity. Look to be a tool in the master's hand to accomplish his will and not your own agenda. Let's get it straight. No party and no politician offers it all. Sometimes it truly is the picking the best of two evils. This is the situation we have. This is what we're confronted with. We're not going to agree with anybody on every single issue. It's just not going to be that way. But there exists an order of issues. There exists an order of issues. That's plain and simple. And it goes back to what's your identity? Do you call yourself a Christian first? Because you will give an account and you will pay a price for your choices and so will your children, just like they did in the text that we read. Know this. When, when Saul started out, it's very different in the way that he finished. Those of us that, that are uh, Bible students, we know Saul started out one way. And by the end, he was trying to kill David. By the end, he was going to which is to try to, to prophesy the future and retain his position. Um, by, by the end, um, things were a mess. Why? Because he wanted to retain power and he did whatever it took. All these politicians are in danger of the same thing. They, they want to retain power when they get into a situation. And whatever it takes to retain power, many of them will do it. From Hamilton... You, you aren't in the room where it happens. You're not in the room where it happens, and, and no one knows how the sausage is made. 
If you knew everything that was in the sausage, you wouldn't eat it. But they put a lot of spices on it to camouflage it. And they packaged the ingredients real nice. And they put a casing around it and promote it, and then they place it, and then they serve it up, even blood sausage. And we eat it. It's not culture before Christ. This is not about your past, but about your future. This is not about Fox News. This is not about CNN. This is not about Twitter. This is not about your favorite conspiracy theorists. The, the, the information you consume matters. And it affects all your thinking. And some people are consumed with this and walking around all upset, bent out of shape. This is what we got to do. Just like them saying, give us a king. When God is on the throne. Do we have a responsibility? Of course we have a responsibility. But I could tell you this, it doesn't come before the division of the church. It, 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 it's nowhere near on the platform of what God is doing and how he governs over all things. Are you consuming more of that information than the Bible? Far too many are. And then you get distorted in the way that you go about all of these things. My mother used to always say, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. When you vote, it is truly between you and God. And let me tell you something. That does not mean, hey, that, uh, yeah, it's none of your business. That means when you're in that booth clicking levers, he's right there with you. Guess what it displays? It displays the order of your love. Is your love rightly ordered? Is it centered on him or on you? And let me tell you something. You may be making the right choice between um, this person and that person and say, lines up a little bit more with Scripture, but if you're doing it from the wrong motives, you're still wrong. You're very wrong. Augustine described these things and exposes the superstructure of his theology. In the midst of classical culture, he identified the central problem of humanity, the fallen human will. More than the intellect alone, Augustine understood that we're all pulled and compelled by love. And again, he described virtue not only merely loving the right object, but loving them in the right order is, is difficult because we say we love things too much. We, we say we love pizza, we love uh, our dog, we love football, we love our spouse, we love our children, yet we recognize that um, these loves aren't equal. Uh, we're flawed if we love pizza more than we love our children or football more than we love our wives. There's a proper order and hierarchy of these loves. 
but all of the objects themselves are good and worthy of love. When the miser loves gold, this is what Augustine says, more than justice, he does not reveal a fault in the gold, but a fault in himself. No thing created by God can be called evil. Nothing created by God could be called evil. For everything God created is good and to be received with thanksgiving. But when we have it in the wrong order, that love becomes evil. A lot of times it's upside down. And that hierarchy is the essence of sin. Evil is loving lesser good above greater ones. Imagine Jesus walking in Jerusalem. And he's, he's walking down a road, and, and he sees all of these different people. He sees a Roman soldier. He sees a, a Pharisee. He sees a zealot. He sees a merchant. The, the Roman soldier is thinking when he looks at Jesus, I rule over him. The Pharisee is thinking, I have a superior religious position over him. The, the zealot is saying, why isn't he taking up arms? And the merchant is saying, why isn't he buying something? From me. And he's reading the thoughts of them all. He knows what each one is thinking. And what you're thinking in that moment, it, it doesn't matter other than the fact that it is an indication of the condition of your heart. And if that is the stream of your heart, it has eternal consequence. See, because the thoughts in that space and time, as Jesus is walking by the king of the earth, and everyone is consumed with all of these things, that is their agenda. The zealot, we need to overthrow these people. The Pharisee, this is the right way to do religion. The merchant, I need everything that I can get. And the Roman soldier, I want to have supreme authority. And none of that was true. And none of that matters 2,000 years later. But what did matter, which each one of their heart conditions that they went to their grave with, because an eternal consequence came out of that. Philippians 3.20 tells us, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Your time here on earth is like taking a nap compared to eternity. So it is much more important for us to spend our energies on the things that God told us to spend our energies on. The heart of the king is in his hand. If we just look at what happened in the courts where they overturned abortion? What they rightly did was put it back in the hands of the state. Look at everything that has come out of that, which is okay and is good, but it is a fight for each state to make the decision that the hearts of the people want. So although it was a good thing, all it really revealed was the hearts of men. 
when people want to do evil, your law is not going to stop them from doing evil. The job of the Christian is to be an instrument for God being used to touch individuals. For, for their heart condition to change because they were blind and now they see. That is when, in a personal way, they're going to say, I honor life. Not because you thought you were going to try to make them do it. That does not mean we don't have a responsibility to righteous laws. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is if that's where your energies are, you're going to be dead and gone one day. And the things that you were called to do as individuals, as the church, as what your love priority was, and you using energy for those things instead of affecting hearts in every interaction that you have for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's say all of that happened and they all conformed and they're marching to hell. Are you satisfied with that? That's what this is about, people. This is about us as the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is about eternity. This is about heaven and hell, not our comfortable life here. Yes, be informed. Yes, have your biblical lens in every decision that you make. But not at the expense of all your conversations and everything you do and where you spend your time and what you're consuming. You think these temporal things are going to matter as if the God, God doesn't have the heart of the king in his hands. Pray for your leaders, no matter if they're evil or good. That, that's what you're called to do as the church. Tells us in Roman, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. 1 Timothy 2 tells us, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayer, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high position, that you may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Jesus told them, give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar and to God the things that belong to God. And they were utterly amazed. You can come up, worship team. Let's get ready for communion. So in John 6, the text tells us that there was plenty of grass in that place. So they sat down and the men numbered above 5,000, about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves and after giving thanks, he distributed to those who were seated so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were full, he told the disciples, collect the, old, the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over and those, and those who had eaten. Catch this. When the people saw the sign he had done. They said, truly, this is a prophet who 
is to who have come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. They, they received, and they said, we're going to take him by force and make him king. And Jesus said, this, this is not where my kingdom is at this time. This is not the way we're going about it. God is on the throne. Jesus was already king when they decided that they were going to do that. Jesus is king now, and Jesus will be king forever. Forever. 